Worship isn't the warm-up for a message. Are, are you with me? Worship is the main thing. See, I, I, can, I can praise and talk about somebody and praise what they do and say, you know what, Pastor Jeremy does a great job with kids. My wife does an awesome job with it. I can praise somebody and then not be present, but I can only worship face-to-face. I can only worship when I'm face-to-face. And worship is powerful because you're in His presence. Are you with me today? Come on, guys. Are you with me today? Jesus, let's worship God together, church. Come on. Jesus, we thank you. You're greater. You're worthy. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, the name above every name. The name above every name. Come on, worship him right now. Worship him. you for the opportunity lord that we can be in your presence that you're nearer than we ever realized you're closer than a brother god you stick closer you're near at heart god i thank you right now that you're here to meet every need you're here to touch us here to set us free here to restore us and god we do pray for anybody who's battling something who's even been diagnosed with something god we just declare you're the healer you're the healer in jesus name in Jesus' name. Worship, worship God one more time, guys. Jesus. 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 Amen, amen. Hey, do you appreciate our worship and production team? Don't they do such an awesome job every week leading us into his presence? You can be seated. I'm Pastor Brian. You've already heard from me. I'm associate pastor here at Church on the Rock. And uh, like I said, uh, they, they, they gave me the microphone today. Oh, thank you. And uh, so if you're a visitor, if this is your first time with us, um, I'm not the main guy, so if I say something that offends you, give us another chance. It's okay. You can come back uh, or not just get over it. Anyway, uh, no, okay. so we're honored to have you all here. We're excited. We had an awesome serve day, as Pastor Shelley said, awesome kids camp. You know, I just love, uh, a lot of time the way church used to be is we thought of like the summer as, well, it's family vacations, people go out of town. Like summer's when we take a break. Summer's when we scale back. But I don't believe that ministry ever needs to stop because there's never a shortage of people that need Jesus. Are you with me? And so I'm thankful for a church that we don't slow down in the summer. We go after it more even. And uh, so many lives were impacted and uh, just so excited for all that God's doing. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, open up with me to the Old Testament, to a book, uh, 2 Kings. And we're going to be in chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, today, my message uh, was a word God gave me a couple weeks ago as I was praying about today. And I knew this was coming up. And uh, the word that God gave me is uh, one that I felt like was a, a personal for some areas that God's working in my heart and life. And, you know, Pastor Jay even mentioned that last week. I mean, enjoyed Pastor Jay Threadgill last week from Haiti. Awesome man of God. You know, if you ever get a chance to go to Haiti, I know you're going to love it. And I, I got to be there a few years ago. And while I, I love the ministry, one of my favorite parts of it was just hanging out with Pastor Jay because I learned so much from him. Uh, one of the things he said last week is how oftentimes uh, a, a message can be so personal for you. And I feel like it's not just for me. It's not just for some of you. It's, it's for us as a church. It's for uh, what I believe God wants to do among uh, the body of Christ as people. And so we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 6. And it's a story that I like to, I like to teach and preach from some kind of unique stories in the Bible. Uh, ones that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't, but, uh, uh, you know, here's the thing about God's Word. It's always powerful. It's always impactful when we recognize that it's not just God giving us history. It's not just God telling a story of what he did 
back then or what he did in somebody's life, but it's something that even is prophetic, meaning it speaks to us about what he wants to do in us. And so this is a story that's unique because it's just weird. I mean, it's, it's a miracle story, but let's just be honest. There's some stories in the Bible that can just be weird because they're not like, you know, I mean, it, to me, even though it's, it's amazing miracles of the dead being raised and blind eyes open, and I get that. Are you with me? Like, I know that's what God wants to do. He, he's, he, he goes after those things, and that's important. But there's some stories in the Bible that just seem weird to me because uh, they're, just, they're just strange. I'll, I'll just share. Well, let's look at this. 2 Kings chapter 6, and let's look at it starting in verse 1. It says, The sons of the prophets said to Elisha, who's a prophet of Israel at this time, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. So please let us go to the Jordan. And let us uh, let every man take a beam from there, and let us make a place where we may dwell. So he answered, and he said, "Go." Then one said, "Please consent to go with your servants." And so he answered and said, "I will go." Verse four. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan River, they cut down trees. But as sounds like our Tuesday small group, uh, as one of we, we were throwing tomahawks the other day. So if you don't have a cool small group, you got to come to Tuesday. I'm sure all the small groups are cool. Like, listen, I'm not going to say that origami isn't cool, but we throw tomahawks at my small group. Okay. (laughs) All right, so they're chopping down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, an iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. For the man of God, uh, so the man of God said to him, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place, and so he cut off a stick, threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Therefore, he said, pick it up for yourself. He reached out his hand, and he took it. This is, I say it's a strange story, because the dead aren't raised in the story. The blind eyes aren't open. There's no, you know, I'll, I'll say like serious miracle, but the miracle is this guy has an axe head. He's got an axe. I actually was going to bring an axe out today, but I didn't want to be like, you know, freaking anybody out or get the security team to shoot somebody, you know, mis- by mistake. Uh, anyway, uh, I didn't want that to happen, so I didn't bring out the axe. But uh, this is such a unique story because they're, they've got the axe, and this guy is, is borrowed an axe, and he's chopping this tree. He's going about what they're doing because the place that they were in was too small. It was time for them to enlarge. It was time for them to uh, get a greater space because it was a little crowded. Uh, my wife and I were on the road uh, last week, uh, about last week. We just came back from visiting her family in Iowa. We had an awesome time. I hope you had a good 4th of July uh, week as well. And uh, but one of the things, our, our hotel room when we went up there, uh, have you ever booked something and it didn't look like the pictures when you showed up? So I booked a hotel, and it turned out to be a motel. I think they should clarify that. I knew it was a motel because there was a Waffle House in the parking lot. And, and, and listen, I took a shower in Haiti where they said, when I, took a sh- when I went to the, the shower in Haiti, they said, hey, be careful you don't get the water in your mouth because you can get cholera. I felt more comfortable showering in Haiti than I did at this place. Uh, this motel, but uh, it was, it was uh, the, the worst part about the motel was I, I thought it was two queens, because there's five of us in my, my family, my wife and I, and we have three children who are growing by the minute, and it was easy when they were babies to like, you know, put them wherever in a hotel or a place, but uh, now they're big, and, uh, and, and so it's a little hard to share a room, and so we're in this hotel, and there are not two queens, there's two doubles. Uh, I don't even know if they're really a double. It was whatever was like a, a twin and a half. And, uh, and so it's my, one of the beds was my wife and I and my daughter. Now, when we came back home from that experience, we decided to go mattress shopping. 
Well, I should say my wife decided to go mattress shopping, but I agreed because we've set a rule in our house from the very beginning uh, that we would not allow our kids to sleep in our bedroom. Uh, the problem is they know ways around that because they take advantage of dad when it's four in the morning and I'm not conscious. And I, and I wake up, I know it's bad because I wake up and my back hurts because here's the way this works. Jenna gets the head and I get the feet. So they cuddle up with mom and I get the feet that are like kicking and, you know, doing, doing all kinds of motions or practicing for a future career in soccer. And, and I wake up like my back hurts. So, so she said, we're going to buy a king bed, which I was all for is I need to enlarge my territory. I need to have some space. I'm all about that. And, and uh, so we experienced something that to me was the creepiest sales experience of my life. Have you ever gone mattress shopping? I, I said it was great because it is like, I've gone car, you know, car salesmen are one thing. And I've been, there's great car salesmen. My brother-in-law was a car salesman, but I've been with like high pressure car salesmen. Mattress salesmen are worse. And the worst part about it is you're vulnerable while they're trying to sell you because you're laying down on a bed. It's like, hey, lay down while I talk to you about how much this costs, you know? And uh, so we ended up getting a king size. I tell you what, it's great because we actually have some space. But uh, I, I tell you that because this is the, how the story works. They're in a place that for them, the sons of the prophets, is kind of like a Bible school. And these guys are, it's a little too crowded, and they've decided that they need more space, so they come to Elisha and say, hey, Elisha, we need to move out of this small room because we need a bigger space. And I've got four simple points for you today. The very first one comes from this uh, concept, and it's, uh, if we can put it on the screen, is number one, it's time for you to outgrow your season. It's time for you to outgrow the season you're in. And season changes. When we talk about seasons, seasons in biblical senses are not, you know, we live in Florida, so there's one season. <laughs> I'm from Arizona. It's much worse, trust me there. You know, we had hot and hotter. You know, right now it was like subatomic surface of the sun, 120. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's, that's one of those things that there's one season here. But in spiritual terms, a season has very little to do with the passing of time. So a season in biblical terms, spiritual terms, can be 10 days or it can be 10 years. It, it's not about the passing of time, but the season you're in has everything to do with what is God doing in your life now? And when we're in a season of life, whatever that is, when we're in a season, I believe there's always three things that God wants to do in that season. One is, the main one is change us. The purpose of your season is to transform you to be ready for your next season. And why this is important is because I found, you know, about coming up on 14 years of ministry, which isn't a long time, you know, we're celebrating 33 years here at Church on the Rock, which is amazing. And uh, it just shows the faithfulness of so many of you and so many of our, our pastors, Pastor Ted and Miss Ruth. And, uh, you know, that's, when you think of this, there's so many people I met, though, that live frustrated because they don't realize that God has a purpose in their season. They're, they're frustrated with their family. They're frustrated with their spouse, maybe. They're frustrated with their kids. They're frustrated with their job, especially, or where they live. And they're, they're, they've got all these frustrations. There's all these things robbing them of joy. But they don't realize there's a purpose for your season. And when it's time for a new season, the way it works is you don't graduate a season, spiritually speaking, because you pass time on a calendar but because you fulfill the purpose that God had in that season. And I believe that today, part of this word that God has for you is that it's time for you to outgrow some places in your life that you've been stuck. But for you to outgrow it, number one, you've got to allow God to change you in the season you're in. 
The second thing is he wants to also work through you in the season you're in. I, I, years ago, I was complaining to God, I mean praying, I was praying, and I was talking to God, nobody's done that in here, right? I was praying, and I'm talking to God about a, a job I was in, and I worked, it was before I was a pastor ministry, and I've been doing ministry on the side in weekends and outreach and stuff, and I worked in a pretty hard environment, and while I was there, I'm complaining to God, God, I, I can't stand working here. I'm ready to be a pastor. You told me I'm gonna be a pastor. I'm gonna be, have a ministry and all this stuff. And I'm, I'm talking to God. I'm ready for my new season. And, and God says, Brian, let me help you with this. You need to change your perspective. You've got ministry right around you. I don't need to give you a ministry. You have ministry in the season you're in. And what it was, there's people I worked with, there were people, families in the community I served that I was neglecting to reach them because I was looking for the next thing. Now that can apply for every one of us. We're very good about looking for the next thing. Are, are you with me? We're, we're always looking for the next thing, the next change. And so as long as we're doing that, we're missing the purpose God has for now. Okay, but, but they come to Elisha and they say, listen, it, Elisha, it's too small. It's cramped in here. You know, it's kind of like my wife and I, a few weeks ago, we got all five kids in a hotel room. It was cramped. But let me tell you this. They're in a place that God wants to enlarge them, but it, they had to be willing to leave one season to go into another one. And sometimes that means being uncomfortable. See, God is not concerned with your comfort level. I hate to tell you, I'm, I'm gonna break it to you now. If, if somebody told you that come to Jesus and you'll always be comfortable, they lied to you. <laughs> because following Jesus will not make you comfortable, but it, he, that's why he gave you a comforter, to, to walk alongside you, to help you. The fact that you have a comforter means sometimes you're gonna need him. Are you with me? Sometimes you're gonna need him. In fact, God is not just gonna, not, are you, not only are you gonna be going through things, but listen, God is going to take you places in faith that require you to get uncomfortable. And so it was time for them to, to, to stretch out. It was time for them to encounter a new place. The word small in the Hebrew language, I like to do little word studies, is the Hebrew word sar, which means literally this. It means narrow. I like th This one's an interesting one. It means crowded by an adversary. It's one thing, I don't like crowds. I just don't. And I like to have my space sometimes. And which, again, my children don't understand that concept yet. Uh, I have well, my first child, my oldest child, he could have been an only child. He would have been perfectly happy. But then the next two came along and they want to be with you. Like they're the kind, any of your kids like follow you to the bathroom? Like you're trying to get away <laughs> and they never outgrow that. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> I'll just have to find ways to repel them then. Okay. <laughs> Crowded by an adversary. Because sometimes, here's the thing that we need to understand. Sometimes we miss new seasons because they're disguised by adversaries. The thing that God wants us to step into a lot of times looks like a spiritual battle. Looks like something you have to pray about. Looks like a need that you need to believe God for. You don't see it as an opportunity. You see it as something you need to be separated from. You need out of your life. You need to get away from this. But what, but what God wants to do is realize, Paul said it this way. He said, he said, there's a great and open door for me. God has opened a door of opportunity, but there's many adversaries. Sometimes the thing, see, again, we, we have this, I don't know where we get this idea, but we think that because something's God, it's got to be easy. But that's not always the case. Sometimes 
you're crowded by an adversary. You're in a place that God is wanting you to become uncomfortable. In a season, God wants you to be uncomfortable, not because he wants you to be uncomfortable or hurt or anything like that. It's because he's wanting to bring a change. Here's the one thing I found out. There are like three people in the world that like change, and I've yet to meet them. Like change, you know, what was the fast food? Change is good. I don't, was it Taco Bell? I don't know, one of those. I, most of my life lessons come from uh, fast food commercials. Um, but, but when we think about this, that, that, that God wants to bring change in our life, but most of us aren't willing to change. And so God has to let things get uncomfortable so we're willing to have it. Most of us are perfectly happy to just go through life on autopilot, cruise control, just, just doing what we need to do, just making it by, but God has more. Are you with me? God has more. God doesn't want you just coasting. He doesn't want you just go stuck in that small place. He wants you to experience more, more of him. More of him, more of his purpose in your life, more of, more of what he has for you. But to do that, you've got to be willing to say, you know what, uh, Elisha, I need, we need a bigger spot. We need to step into something more. And so we're, we need to make some room. First Chronicles 4 is a uh, well-known story again, but it's, it's from right in the middle of like a, uh, a well, chronology, but it's right in the middle of a genealogy. It's listing all these people that served, uh, served God and the families of God, or the families of the tribe of Judah. And one of the people that's mentioned is a guy named Jabez. And here's what it says about Jabez. It says this, uh, verse nine. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. See, sometimes your small place isn't something outside of you, it's in you. Are, are you with me? Sometimes the small place you're in isn't just the job or the environment you're living in. Sometimes it's what's inside of you. God wants to enlarge you inside. God wants to enlarge your faith. He, he wants to enlarge your integrity. He wants to enlarge your, uh, your walk with him. And so Jabez was more honorable inside. He was more honorable than all of his family. Problem was, his mama called him Jabez, which is like at the top of the baby name list, right after Jehoshaphat. And said this, because I bore him in pain. Jabez means he shall cause pain. His name is a curse. He has spent his entire life identified and labeled with a curse, but something inside of him said there's more than what I've been labeled. There's more than what I've been called. There's more than what people have said about me. And some of you today need to realize there's more inside of you. God's putting more in you than what you've experienced from the outside. There's more inside of you than what people have said about you or what they've done to you. And Jabez called on the God, here's the key, God, Jacob had called on the God of Israel and here's what he said, oh, that you would have blessed me indeed and enlarge my territory. He says, I don't wanna be limited by what people have said or what they've done or the way I think about myself. God, I need you to enlarge my territory. And I believe that there's some of us right now, we've just been stuck at a certain place in our walk with God and God wants us to start connecting with him and saying, God, I want more of you. I don't wanna just clock in and clock out. I don't wanna just go to church. I don't wanna just play games and religion. I want more, and to have more, I want you to enlarge me inside. I want you to enlarge my territory, God. And you know what? This is the cool thing about God, is he will do it. And here's what it looks like. Uncomfortable. God, change this, change that. Okay, I'm gonna start working inside of you. There's small vision and small thinking sometimes that limits us 
Proverbs 29, 18. In the King James, most of us know it as this, that, that where there's no vision, people perish. In the New King James, uh, which is the version that the Apostle Paul used, I used to tell people that at the bookstore because I used to hear people say King James was the version, you know, the apostles used because they spoke in King James English. Anyway, uh, where there is no revelation, here's what happens with the religion. We can't think of anything else to argue about, so we make up stuff. Okay, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Where there's no revelation, where there's no vision, it's the same word in, in the Hebrew language. It's a word that, uh, kazon, which literally means to what is seen when the wall that's blocking your view is cut away. So there's something blocking, limiting you from seeing it. There's so many people that can hear the word of God, that can experience God. People can be prayed for at the altar, and they hear something, but they don't believe it because all they see is a wall. All they see is their limitation, or even what they think of God. They think, well, God can never do that. And it's a wall. And that, that limitation is what God says, I want to cut through that so you can see what I have. And you can't see that until you're willing to let him cut some stuff out of the way. Or there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. That's an interesting statement because this is what it tells me. If I don't have a vision from God for my future, for the next season in life, for my family, for whatever God's put in my hand, and the same for you, then here's what happens. When we don't know we have a future, we always go back to where we came from. When we don't know we're going towards something, we'll always settle in the present. But here's the way the things work. There's no such thing as standing still in the spirit. You're either moving forward or you're going back. I, I, I told you, we're gonna have fun today. So if, if you're just visiting, come back. Okay, because anyway, I'll probably say something. Anyway, so here's, here's what it says. Where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint. People live like they have no future when they don't know there's one. You're, you're, you'll settle today, you'll sell yourself even, you'll give things away, you'll, you'll compromise your values today when you don't realize that you have a future tomorrow and the enemy will do everything he can to take away that there's a tomorrow for you. I'm just too old, God can't use me now. I'm divorced, God can't use me. I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I've had this illness, I have this limitation. We have all this nonsense that the enemy comes and lies to us about and we take that and we let that be our wall that keeps us from seeing a future. Abraham can't have a child. His wife can't have a child. God says, here's what God does. God comes along and says, um, listen, you're gonna have a son from your body and guess What? Not only are you going to have a son, but you're going to be a father of many nations. But I need you to see it, Abraham. So to see it, Abraham lived in a tent. He was a camper like me. He lived in a tent. I can't convince my wife to live in a tent. She, uh, I bought a tent when we first got married. I thought, I am going to raise my family in this. Like, we are going to camp all the time. It's going to be amazing. My first camp out with her, like a month after we got married, I took her up to the mountains where they, but it was super dry that season in Arizona, and you couldn't have a fire. And if there's no fire, that means there's lots of little bugs. And we had something called hissing beetles. Do they have hissing beetles in Florida? I don't know if they do or not, but in Arizona, we have hissing beetles, and I found out why they call them hissing beetles. This is very deep. They hissed like a cat. 
And I, one, one night, Jen and I are in this tent, and I'm like trying to get, convince her to live in this tent. We're going to camp in this all the time and raise our kids in this. It's going to be amazing. And, and I'm getting ready. And the first night, a hissing beetle gets wedged in between two panels on the door, and I couldn't get rid of it. I hit it with a maglite, like the kind that would like crack a skull. Didn't even phase it. The thing just hissed at me, and I told Jenna, it's okay. We'll leave it alone. It'll leave us alone. It's outside. It's fine. We, it can't get us. But listen, there's sometimes in life, there's things that, that, like Abraham, he's in a tent, and we got to be willing to do what God does with Abraham. He says, Abraham, I need you to see what you can't see. You can't, you can't keep looking at yourself and what's wrong. You can't just keep looking at your problems. You can't just keep looking at the season you're in, because the season you're in, Abraham, right now, says no children. But the season I have for you says nations. So to see that, you've got to step outside of your tent. You've got to get out here, and I want you to look at the stars, count the stars, look at the sand of the shore, and I want you to realize you're going to have as many kids as those. As many descendants. What is God doing? Was he just giving him a, a mental exercise? No, he's enlarging Abraham's faith. The place that we're dwelling is too small. And they ask, they ask Elisha, these guys come to him, and here's what they say. They say, come, and, come, come with us. And I've got, my second point is this. God, this is super simple, but this is important we understand this. God goes with us. God is the God who, I like what he says of Israel. He went before them as he led them out of the desert. That means that every place you're going in life, when you don't, know where you're going or you don't understand how to get there, you have to realize that your God is not going to be there with you. He is already there. And so he's already kind of prepared the ground. He's already made things ready. He's already prepared uh, what he has in store for you to experience. But here's the other thing. He's not only before you, but it's said of Israel that God went before them and he was there. His glory was their rear guard. He, he had their back. He watched their six. He was behind them. So he went ahead of them to prepare the way, but he also protected them as they journeyed. Because God doesn't just call you to do something on your own. He wants to go with you. They said, Elisha, come, we want to build a new space. We need to clear out some trees, but we want you with us. So many times in life, we want to make decisions and do things, but we don't want to include God. We, we, want, we want to change this or change that. We want to go here or go there. We want to do things, but we don't realize that, that, that when we don't include God in the process, I don't know if you've ever been there, if I'm just talking about my own life, but there's been areas of my life over the years where I've just done things and then realized, wait a minute, I didn't even ask God about this. And, and we need to be a people that know how to not only involve God, but make him the center of every decision we make. Because guess what? If I make a choice or I do something without him, I'm responsible to make it happen. But when I invite God to show me what he wants for my life, he makes it happen with his ability. Second point was God goes with us. Should be number, yeah. So, and I think this is interesting too because it also tells me, if you look at this story, like why is this story in the Bible? 
I mean, the guy loses an axe head. Like, this could have just been a footnote if it's, it should even be included. Like, God, why did you include this story? And, of course, it shows the miracle and God using Elisha and all that. But, but it's just a weird story. Like, if I, were to, if I were to, like, you know, tell somebody who doesn't know about Jesus about how God works, this wouldn't be my opening line. Like, I wouldn't start with, hey, by the way, if you ever have an axe head that drops in the water, you know. <laughs> So, so, but here's the thing we have to understand is I think it lets us know that God not only cares about the big stuff, but he goes with us in the little things. He goes with us in the areas of life that we don't always think are spiritual. Because here's how we do it. Human nature is this. God is Sunday. I got to figure out the rest of my week. I know we don't normally say that, but that's sometimes how we live. But we have to realize that with God, everything is important. Everything is spiritual. How we raise our kids, how we live our, our, not our, our faith out, but also how we build a marriage, how we walk with God, how we treat people, how we are employees, all of that God cares about. He cares about the ax heads. He also cares about the stuff that may be lost or may be broken or things that you don't, you know, on the outside you think, well, I couldn't bother God with this. This is not that big a deal. But God cares about those little things. He does. And he wants to work in our lives in every single area. I like this. So God cares about the little stuff as much as the big stuff. But here's the thing. It matters. The reason why God cares about it, and I learned this out as a dad, especially when my kids are babies. I have a little bit different response now that they're bigger. Uh, but when, when they were babies, here's what would happen, especially because you realize with a baby, there's no reasoning with a baby. There's no reasoning with a toddler. Like, it's especially when they're real little, like, you know, babies. And you're just trying to, like, especially when they're, like, little babies, you're holding them in your arms, like, just help soothe them. Just get them quiet. So when my kids were old enough to have possessions, like, they would have my oldest son, his thing was Hot Wheel cars. And so if he lost a Hot Wheel car, and any of you who are parents who know uh, what it's like to step on a Hot Wheel car in the middle of the night in the dark know that it's a very painful experience, just like Legos do. Uh, I don't know why they put, like, you know, all the motors sticking out and everything on some of these, on, like, a hot rod Hot Wheel car because it's just death, you know. And, uh, and so, but my, my son would lose his Hot Wheel cars, and it'd be, it was always his favorite that he lost, Whatever he lost, it didn't matter what it was, it was his favorite. He may forget about it five minutes later, and listen, I, as his dad, could not care less about the Hot Wheel car on my own, like apart from my son, because guess what? It was a little Hot Wheel, I bought it for 99 cents at the grocery store on my way home, and that's all it was. But to him, it was so important. So if he lost it, as his dad, I was going to do whatever I could to help him find it. Are you with me? And sometimes in life, we have to realize there's some stuff that, that, that we've lost that we have to realize God wants to get involved. He cares about that stuff. He wants us to get. See, this guy is out here, and here's what he's doing. He's got his ax, and he's chopping away at the tree. And as he's chopping away, chopping away, swinging his ax, something happens. In the middle of a swing, the ax head flies off, and it goes in the water. And... and I don't know why it fell off. Maybe it fell off because it wasn't secured properly. I wonder how many things in our life we don't take time to really make sure we got a grip on it. We don't take seriously enough that this is important in our life, that we don't prepare. We don't take time to build our integrity before we have a a temptation. We don't decide to get things ready in preparation for our new season. We just live like, well, whatever happens, happens. 
and we end up with an axe head in the water. And see, this guy's swinging, and he's, he's making progress. He's cutting down trees, and he's cutting into his new one, and as he's swinging, he's doing the same thing he's been doing this whole time, but suddenly he's not getting the same results. Because now he's missing, he's lost his edge. He's lost the thing that is necessary for him to accomplish what he's supposed to accomplish. And I wonder how many times in our life we're doing the same thing we've always been doing, we're still swinging the, the handle, but there's no longer a breakthrough, there's no longer a change, there's no longer answered prayers, there's no longer uh, growing our faith because we are still doing the motion, but the ax head's gone. Somewhere along the way, we kept the activity up without doing the thing that was effective to see the results happen. I think it's time for us to get our edge back. It's time for us to get the very thing that we need to accomplish the purpose of God. And I don't know what your edge looks like. Maybe it was your fire for God. Maybe it was your passion for, for building the kingdom. Maybe, it, maybe it's just your, your love for people. I don't know what it is, but whatever your edge is, you can keep going through motions. Here's the way we usually try to do it, especially if we're religious. We keep swinging the head, we keep swinging the handle, pretending like it's there, hoping nobody notices the difference. But the, the difference is not in the activity, the motion of swinging, the difference is in the result. And listen, God is looking for things to change. He's looking to work through you and I. God's not interested in us just swinging handles. We may be content to do it. Well, I don't understand, God. I'm doing the same thing I've always done. Where's the accent? Where's your edge? Because you can do the activity, you can do the right thing even, but not have it produce any results when you Forget that you need your edge. You leave God out of it, or you don't do the things, and we'll, we'll look at this, the things that you need. But let me give you the third point today. Because here's what the guy says to Elisha. Hey, my hack said fell in the water. It was borrowed. He didn't listen to Dave Ramsey. He, he threw it in the, it fell in the water, and he, he had borrowed this axe head, and he comes to him, he says, I need this because I, I, gotta, I gotta give it back. And Elisha says something that's my third point. Where did it fall? Where did it fall? And I want to ask you today, where did you lose your edge? Where did you lose the thing that was, where did you lay down? Maybe you kept trusting God, you kept walking in faith, you kept showing up, you kept serving, you kept doing stuff, but, but it's no longer from the same place of passion that it once had. It's no longer producing the same thing it used to produce. And it's not because you're not being faithful. Listen, I believe in faithfulness. Faithfulness is one of the most important things we can ever do as Christians. But it's very important that we're faithful in the right thing. Are you with me? I can be faithful as swinging a handle all day when God wants an ax head on there that's gonna take down some trees. And so I can do activity, I can think. See, here's, here's do you know momentum is actually a dangerous thing? Because here's what often happens a lot of times in people's lives, is we have momentum and things are working for a season. And we've got an exit. We're praying like we never prayed. We're in the word every single day. We're, we're fasting. We're seeking God. We're, we're investing in other people. We're giving. We're tithing. We're doing all the things. And we've got that axe head sharp. And we're cutting down trees. And we're seeing changes. And, and we're experiencing change. 
But then over time, we stop doing certain things. We stop praying like we used to. We just, we just get kind of used to things. We get used to God. I think the biggest danger for most Christians is not running away from God, running headlong into some kind of affair or some kind of addiction or falling into some great sin. The biggest danger oftentimes for most Christians is just simply falling into apathy. Because if I fall into something else, I can realize, man, I I need help. But a lot of times apathy is something that we fall into without realizing we need any help. Oh, I'm I'm good. I got my, my handle right here. I'm fine. (laughs) Where did it fall? See, here's the danger of momentum. When things keep progressing, but we're no longer sharpening our edge. We're no longer sharpening. You know, an ax requires maintenance. An ax requires maintenance. It requires that you uh, keep it clean, keep it sharp, keep it, uh, keep that edge up. My, a buddy of mine for, uh, anybody ever see the show Forge and Fire? On the History Channel, like none of yours were, two, two of you, okay. Uh, it's a show where people compete making knives. Like my wife watches Hallmark movies, I watch knife stuff, you know. And so my buddy was watching the show and decided to build a forge in his garage. And so, which I, I would have loved to have been there for the conversation where he convinced his wife to do that, let him do that. But he built this forge in his garage and he started making his own knives. And uh, he gave me his very first knife, he gave it to me. And the problem with this knife was it had an okay metal it had the right materials, it had the right content, but it couldn't keep an edge. And see, as, as a Christian, a lot of times we have all the right stuff, we have all the right ingredients, and we think, well, I've got everything I need, but if we don't maintain the edge, we don't keep that sharp. See, there's only one way to maintain an edge on a knife or an ax, is you have to have contact between a, some people use a stone, some people use a file if you're sharpening an ax, but whatever you're using, there has to be contact. There's an abrasion that happens that causes metal on metal or stone on metal that's sharpening the edge. If you don't have contact, you don't maintain an edge. And why that's important is because you've got a spiritual edge from God that without contact with him every single day, you start getting dull. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25 says this, in the King James Version, this is a, I got one King James verse today, and it talks about the strategy of the enemy. And above, part of his strategy is this, he will wear out the saints. You can get worn out doing the right thing. In fact, the devil doesn't care if you're doing the right thing as long as you don't keep your edge sharp. Because he, he doesn't care if you're swinging a handle. He cares if trees start falling. <laughs> he, he, he cares when people start getting free, when people start encountering Jesus through your life, when people start seeing you, or when, God, when the enemy sees you engaging in your purpose and doing what he's called you to do, that terrifies him more than anything else. So he doesn't care if you're doing stuff as long as you've lost your edge. And the only way to maintain an edge is through contact. Jesus said something to his disciples that I think is, for me, one of the most important verses. There's so many good things in the Bible. There's so many important things, but I think this has to be one of the main life ones. He said, John 15, abide in me and I in you. He said, I want you to abide in me and I'm going to abide in you. And he says, as a result of this, you're going to bear fruit. Your life is going to produce. To use the first analogy, you'll start chopping some trees. 
You're gonna start producing some things in your life. You're gonna be effective in your life. You're gonna be effective as a husband or as a wife, as a father, as a mother. Whatever God's called you to, you'll be effective. You'll have fruitfulness, not just fruit for today, but fruit that lasts eternity. And, and, and he says this to the disciples that I think is a good reminder for me at least, and maybe for you. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's what I found. As a Christian, I have Jesus. I have Jesus in my heart. I have Jesus, I, I'm so thankful for that. But listen, I can have salvation and not intimacy. And for me to be effective, I don't just need fire insurance to get to heaven, I need intimacy with God, I need contact. I need my life to be sharpened in his presence. Here's what happens every time I get with Jesus. He starts working on me. I, listen, I always think I got it all together until I talk to him. <laughs> I always think I've got this figured out, I got my, you know, okay, and then I meet Jesus and I realize I am messed up. I am like, you know, get me back on the surgery table, Jesus. Like, I, I need some help. I can't be who God wants me to be trying to do it on my own. And neither can you. How did it, where did it fall? We often lose our edge, not by some big trauma, but just simply not maintaining contact, not maintaining that edge. How do we maintain contact? I like this. Uh, let me give you a verse. Ecclesiastes 10.10 says this. Ecclesiastes 10.10, if the ax is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, this is like super practical wisdom, then he must use more strength. So this is, <laughs> there's a spiritual point in that, but just think about it. If I have a dull edge, I may get results, it's just gonna be a lot harder to get those without an edge. And in my walk with Jesus, my faith, walking out my faith, it's gonna be a lot harder for me to just try to sharpen an edge one day out of the week. I'm a church guy, I love church. I, listen, God has a sense of humor, because when I was a kid, my parents would try to take me to church, I would do everything I could to try to convince them I was asleep so they wouldn't take me. I would do anything I could. Like, I would just, and God has since you, because I love the church. I'm, I'm a church guy, but listen, you've got to have your edge sharpened every day, not just on Sunday. You've got to have your, and, and part of how it's sharpened is our contact with, with Jesus, but also other people. You know what the Bible says, iron sharpens iron, so one man does another. As you're together as the body, that's why it's important to be in small groups and a part of things throughout the week, that you're making contact with people that are full of Jesus that will sharpen you. And you'll do the same thing with them. And listen, here's the thing. Sometimes we try to avoid it because guess what? Sometimes that contact is not always easy. I know you haven't met any difficult people before. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But sometimes people are going to think different than you. People are going to talk different than you. They're going to look different than you. They're going to sometimes rub you the wrong way. They're going to, and, and you have that contact. But listen, God has you in an imperfect family. And he has you in an imperfect church family. And you may think, well, listen, it's, I'm here, I'm perfect. No, not one of us. I, you know what I realized? For every person that irritates me, I'm probably irritating somebody else. <laughs> There's probably something. And listen, that God has a way of using relationships to sharpen us, to make us better. And that only happens as we do that together. Okay. So if an axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. You ever heard the expression, work 
Smarter, not harder. <laughs> where, where did it fall? You know, I'm a talker, and it works out good when you're preaching, but <laughs> sometimes I'll have a conversation with somebody, and uh, I, the phone coverage out here hasn't been too bad for me, but I know where we lived in Arizona, it was like the northwest corner, and we had uh, one phone company that like covered the entire metro Phoenix area except where I lived. And so I'd be driving, and if I like passed a certain turn on a freeway or something, the whole thing would drop. And the problem with the drop phone call is I don't always know, especially if you're a talker like me, not as good a listener, you're doing a lot of talking, and then the phone call drops. And you don't know it's disconnected because there's no like, you know, like it used to be with old phones, like you could actually hear that it was disconnected. Like a cell phone, you just keep talking. And then finally, you take a breath. Where are you? <laughs> Can you hear me? <laughs> and you realize that somewhere along the way you drop the call. And if it's like, if I'm talking to somebody, I'll call them back. And if I can get a hold of them, I'll ask them, what was the last thing you heard? Because it's important that you hear the rest of it. Where did it fall? Where did you drop the accent? It's important you know where it fell because it's hard to get back what you lost when you're looking in the wrong place. A lot of times what we think needs to change isn't what needs to change. Oh, this will be fun. How much time do I got? Because sometimes, we, I've had this many times where I'll be praying with somebody and I'll, I'll talk to them and they're like, hey, this is what my need is. And as I'm praying, this is why it's important for you, every one of us to listen to the Holy Spirit because sometimes what we think is the problem is only a symptom of the real problem. And until we know what the real problem is, Maybe our real problem is we got somebody we got to forgive. That's what's dulling our edge. Maybe we're offended, and that's dulling our edge. We were, we were effective up until the point we got hurt by somebody, and we couldn't let it go. And now we're just swinging a handle, and we're stuck. I, talk, I had a conversation with somebody just two weeks ago that had been hurt very badly by somebody, and... Every time I have a conversation with this person about this, it's like they're still talking like it's happening today and it happened 30 some years ago. How often are we stuck in the small place because we, we, we haven't been willing to let go? We have a dull edge. We've lost our edge because we've not let it go. We've not forgiven. We've not allowed God to work in us what he wants to work. Maybe it's something else entirely. Maybe we just simply started cutting corners in our walk, we stop praying like we used to. We stop digging in the word like we used to. We stop coming with hunger and expectation. Listen, every time I come to church, every time we come together, you should have an expectation to encounter Jesus. You should have an expectation, a hunger to encounter God. But the enemy wants to wear you out, so you just do it, but you don't have an expectation of God moving. Are, are you with me? And we're swinging a handle. And somebody asks us, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, I'm swinging the handle. I'm being faithful, but are we being effective? Because to be effective, I need the presence of Jesus to sharpen my life. We gotta maintain our edge. Sometimes we're just simply careless with things that are important that we stop valuing like we used to. Maybe sometimes we even think that, uh, listen, you can coast on momentum and past success for a while before you realize something's wrong. But listen, sometimes we have to realize when all hell's breaking loose, sometimes, not always, 
But sometimes we need to realize, did somewhere along the way, if something's wrong right now, did I lose my edge? (laughs) And I think that's a tough question to ask ourselves. Because none of us want to think we've ever lost our edge. We don't think we're at the top of our game. We've got it going on. We've got it figured out. But somewhere along the way, even in our faith, we just lost the edge. And we're doing stuff, but we've forgotten why. And we're coasting even on past successes. Where did it fall? It's time to go back to that place that you lost your edge. They, they, they go, he takes them back to the place where they dropped the handle. You know, something Elisha did with another, he went to a town one day. It's actually the beginning of his ministry. He goes to the city of Jericho. And Jericho was a city that had a calling. And that city had been the offering, the the tithe, the first fruits of Israel entering the promised land. And they gave that city totally to God. And they were, they, Jacob, who conquered the city, or Joshua, who conquered the city, said, nobody will ever build the city again because this belongs to God. But somebody years later took what belonged to God and used it for themselves. And as a result, that land, that place became cursed. And one day, Elisha shows up to that city, and the people come out and they say, Elisha, I don't understand. We need your help. The ground looks good, the water tastes great. But there's something wrong because the land that looks good and the appearance of the city is okay, the land is barren. Sometimes we can have everything looking good, but there's no trees falling down. There's no fruitfulness produced. There's no real change happening. And that's, and Elisha says, I want you to take me to the source of the water. He says, I, I need to get to the root of this. I need to get to the heart of this. And I believe that tonight, today, I usually preach on Sunday nights. Today, God wants you to get to the heart of the thing that is affecting everything else in your life. See, sometimes we're stuck, not because of a hundred problems, but because of one time that we drop the ax head. And God wants us to get it back. Are you with me today? So, he says, Take me to where you dropped it. Number four, my final point is this. And this is the good news. God is a recovery specialist. God is in the business of redemption. God is in the business of getting back things that are lost. God is in the business of finding things that you think are, are long gone. And, 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 and so even though this guy dropped an ax head in the water, it wasn't too late. And this is what I believe God wants every one of us to understand is there may be some areas of our life that we've dropped the accent. We've, dropped, we've, we've just gone through motions. We're just trying to be a good husband or a good wife. We're just trying to, to do good at our job. We're just trying to build that business. We're just trying, and we're going through motions, but there's no longer a vision for what God wants to do. There's no longer passion. There's no longer faith. There's no longer expectation. God is in the business of recovery. He threw a stick. He cuts off a stick. He throws it in the water. You know, there's this interesting story. I don't mean to give you so many different stories, but I want to illustrate this if I could. In Job chapter 42, anybody ever read Job like for your morning devotional and get depressed the entire day? <laughs> Listen, I, I, made, I made that mistake a couple times. Like, hey, I'm going to start the morning. Oh, I'm in Job. Okay, I guess I'm depressed today. This would be a good one. No, most of Job is what, how messed up Job's life is. 
and other people that are called his friends helping explain why his life is messed up. Well, Job, you really probably deserved it. I know you think you look like a good guy, but you probably got something really going on. And, and they have all these people that are mischaracterizing Job and God. Till Job 42, God's word is the last word. God speaks and tells Job, listen, it's time for you to get quiet. It's time for your friends to get quiet. I'm gonna tell you who I am. And sometimes we just gotta take that advice and stop listening to every voice and even our own voice and listen to God's voice. That's good. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's a real good point. I should repeat that. Yeah. Because sometimes we're listening to all the wrong voices, and that's why our edge is dull, because we're trying to get it sharp in the wrong places. We're trying to go to the wrong people. We're trying to go to the wrong things. We're, we're, we're trying to find things that will help dull what's missing in our life. But what's missing isn't the stuff that we, we try to fill ourselves with. It's we need to get that edge back. Job, you need to hear what I have to say. And you know what God tells Job? I want you to forgive these people who called themselves your friends but have been nothing but a pain. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna stop there because I'm gonna be the first pastor to not use the other word for donkey this week. Anyway. But listen, this is something we have to understand because he says, he says I need you to forgive them. Because you're stuck in a season right now that's not meant to be permanent. And if you can forgive them, you can graduate this season and get restoration in your next. Job 42, let's, let's put it on the screen. Job 42, verse 10. It says, and the Lord, Job does this, he prays for his friends who kicked him when he was down. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, this is the part I like. God doesn't just restore, he does better. He doesn't just give you back what you lost, he gives you better. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. God is in the recovery business. And not only does he restore what's missing, but he gives you better than you lost. And maybe you lost something, maybe somebody else took it, but either way, You've got to get it back. And I, I, I'm going to finish with this because here's what happens. Elisha tells the guy, take this stick. He throws it in the water. And then here's the miracle part. This is, this, maybe you don't know this. I don't know. But iron doesn't float. And, and the, the axe head, the iron axe head with the stick. I don't I mean, nobody's in there like, maybe there's a fish. God's in a fish, you know, put the axe in water. No, God does the miracle. He, God himself puts the axe head in the axe, or the, the, the handle in the axe head, the new handle. And then Elisha tells the guy, pick it up. And here's the next piece of this, because every one of us wants God to do something for us, but we forget that God wants to do something with us. How many times did Jesus come up to somebody and say, pick up your mat and walk. Why would he say something like that? I, I talked about that on a first Wednesday a couple of months ago because God was letting those people know, listen, you're not going back to where the mat is. <laughs> See, it's one thing to get out of your mat and walk, but to always have plan B in the back of your mind. I can always fall back. But he says, no, pick up the thing you're dependent on and follow me. How many times did Jesus say to a guy who had a withered hand and he said, stretch out your hand? What's he doing? He's saying there's got to be action to what you believe. 
pick up the ax head. God wants you to recover what you lost, but it's time for us to reach out in faith.